I was having some difficulties getting some slides and stuff to load, and they've been working all morning while taking care of everything for the worship team, too, so thank you guys. So this morning, I was preparing to uh, come to church and knowing I was preaching, and man, I was close just to turning right and heading to St. George instead, but... (laughs) I remember we're talking about Jonah, so that probably wouldn't be a good idea to do. So we're going to be in Jonah 4 today, uh, the battle within. Let's just recap what we've been through Jonah. This will be the last week of Jonah. Um, Thank you, Richard, for putting this series together, Um, just taking us through, through the book. So Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, preach God's word there, to tell them that they were doing wrong and everything they were doing was evil. Jonah instead, he ran away to Tarshish. Tarshish. Then God brought a big storm on the sea. The sailors realized that it was Jonah that was bringing this upon them and threw him overboard. And he gets swallowed by a big fish. Then Jonah prays to God. He gets vomited out of the fish onto dry land. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he proclaims God's message to them. The king of Nineveh, he hears the message, and he has his entire city repent, his kingdom repent. So God decides not to bring the destruction on them since they have repented. So that's basically where we're at now into chapter 4. So if you'll open your Bibles starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah is angry here. He doesn't think that God should forgive these people. Why should they be spared? They're an evil city. It's full of sin. It's kind of like Hollywood or Las Vegas on the Strip. Moving on to verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So here, Jonah is basically pouting. He's gone outside the city, found a spot to sit, and he pouts, kind of like a little kid. I'm taking my ball, and I'm going home. You guys can't play. So then he sits there, and he's probably waiting for some sort of revenge, right? Like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's waiting for the fireworks just to come blowing down and explode the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. And he made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Finally, he's happy about something. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. I actually relate a little bit to Jonah in this part. Working down in St. George, 
hundred and teens out in the sun, no shade. We were out this weekend watching softball and hundred degrees up in Salt Lake. It's miserable. So I kind of relate to him a little bit there. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God speaking to Jonah here, he kind of reminds me of Job, in the book of Job, where God says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? So God's basically telling him that all of this I have created, why should you be concerned or not be concerned with my creation and save them if I please. So that's how the book of Jonah ends. No response from Jonah. We don't know what happens after that. So most people hear the book of Jonah, right? They hear the story and they think of it's Jonah in the well. It's some guy that got swallowed by a big fish. A fishing tale. It's the fish that was this big that got away. But when we look closer at Jonah, we see there's so much more to the story. So this story is a story of a disobedient prophet running away from God. And then how God turns him back to him, right? We see that as he's trying to flee Tarshish. And then he does finally go into Nineveh and preach the word. This is a story of God's power revealed. So God sent a great wind, creates the storm. He produced a big fish to swallow Jonah. He commanded that fish to spit him out onto the dry land. He grew the plant to provide him shade. Then he brought about a worm to eat the plant, brought the hot wind on Jonah. God's power, he's in charge of all creation. This is a story of repentance. Not only does Jonah repent while he's in the the stomach of the well, but the the people of Nineveh, all the Ninevites, they repent also. And this is a story of God's mercy given to the people of Nineveh. So God relents. He says, okay, you have changed your ways, so now I will not bring upon, about the destruction that I, that I had promised. And this is a story of Jonah having an internal battle between his flesh and the spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So one thing that social media has brought to us is memes and hashtags. People come up with a catchphrase, and then it's hashtag this, hashtag that. Then they will put it over the top of a picture for a meme. So we have uh, one of the ones you'll see is the struggle is real. So we have hashtag the struggle is real. Most of the time you see this, it's about some small problem, right? Some satire or something, really not a problem at all. It's kind of a joke. So we have a couple of memes here for you. Right? Poor dinosaur can't pick up the donut to eat or the hamburger. Now this one, so this struggle is real. This one was for Sydney, my daughter. She's going to be leaving and going away to college here in the next month. So that's going to be the struggle, the top ramen struggle. 
So we all have a real struggle within ourselves, a good versus evil. So we have the old cartoons, right? The old Tom and Jerry's where they're doing something and the little devil pops up and he says, oh, you need to go do this, go get into that, go get into that. And then you've got the angel on the other shoulder. No, don't do that. You can't do that. The battle, it calls this battle between the flesh and the spirit, the battle within. So we have choices. We can choose to be dependent on ourselves and our desires, the flesh, or we can choose to be dependent on God and to seek after his will. When a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He is what leads us to the things that are godly. However, we still have that flesh living inside of us, and that's what keeps us involved in the things of the world. We constantly have a struggle between the two. Paul writes about this in Galatians. He says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul then goes on, and and he describes these acts of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. And I'll just read through these. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are the signs of the flesh. Don't sound like nice words, do they? One of the commentaries that I read this week, it described living in the flesh as any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit and without glorying, exalting in, trusting, treasuring, and valuing Jesus Christ. So basically, it's being focused on your own desires and not paying attention to what God has designed for you. So there's five warning signs of living in the flesh that we're going to take the example from of Jonah. So number one, we are displeased with God's design. Jonah is in the middle of this battle within. So chapter 3, we talked about it. It ends with God sparing the Ninevites. Jonah should be happy about this, right? Any preacher that just got a whole city to turn would be super joyous, would be rejoicing with God. Not Jonah. He's angry. He's displeased with God. That isn't the way that that Jonah saw this whole thing going. He wanted his enemies destroyed. He is relying on his own ideas. He's thinking of himself, living in the flesh. Jonah, he had his life completely planned out. He was a prophet in Israel. He was on top of the world, right? Living in the place where, well, he was in Israel, so all of his followers are at least believers in God. So... No arguments that he was getting. He was going to live out his life preaching to those people. No struggle. 
But God had different plans for him. So God took him out of there. And Jonah didn't like it. He wanted the people of Nineveh to be punished. They were his enemies. He wanted them wiped out. He wanted what he thought was right. So how often do we do this? We get an idea in our head of what our life should look like. And we pursue it without seeking God's will. We get comfortable in our lives. And we don't want God to change anything. Right? Maybe it's your comfortable worshiping in a certain location, but God calls you elsewhere. Maybe you're a preacher in a city, and God takes you and wants you back in Kentucky. Right? So it's not always what we want to have to happen. We want our enemies eliminated instead of praying for their repentance and returning to God. Number two, our emotions get the best of us, and they control our responses. In verse 1, it says, Jonah was angry. The Hebrew word for this meant a strong anger. He was really ticked off. He had let his emotions take control of him. He's so angry that he goes outside the city and pouts. When our unguarded emotions are leading us, we fall into the acts of the flesh that Paul described in Galatians. So a little illustration of that. A woman pulls up to a stoplight in her car. And in front of her, the car didn't go when the light turned green. So she missed her green light. So she's honking. She's yelling at the car in front of her, waving her fist out of the window. Just having a fit of rage. So a policeman just happened to be behind him, so, or behind her. So he walks up to the window, knocks on the window, has the lady get out of the car, pulls her out, sets her in the back of his car, and he proceeds to call dispatch. And he has her out for 20 minutes. The woman, furious now. Finally, when the officer lets her go, well, why did you waste my time? Why did you make me sit here? And he says, well, ma'am, I saw the I Love Jesus bumper sticker on your car. (laughs) Then I saw how you were acting. And I really didn't think a follower of Jesus would act like that. I just had to verify that this was really your car. So, when we let our emotions become unguarded, we fall into the flesh. We start acting like those of the world instead of those that are followers of Jesus. Number three, we have an inflated confidence in our own wisdom. So, Jonah in verse two, as he's still angry talking to God here, he says, Isn't this what I said would happen? I knew that this is what you were going to do, God. And this is not how it should go. You should have just destroyed this city. They are horrible people. And I knew this was what you were going to do, and I didn't want to be a part of it. So that's why I left town and headed far away from here. So we can easily fall into a place where we think that our ways and our ideas are better than God's. There are times in our life that God is going to do things that we just are not going to understand. We think our way is better, and we do not follow God's will. Number four, we begin to lack confidence in the character of God. Jonah begins to question the character of God. God, I know you are gracious and loving. 
that grace that you gave me while I was in the belly of the fish was great. But now you're offering it to these people. I don't like that so much. Who you are is not sufficient for my, <clears throat> excuse me, for my situation right now. We might see this in the midst of a tragedy or in the loss of a loved one where we ask, why would God let this happen? How can he stand by and not do something? Why didn't he stop this? How can a loving God do this? Right? That's the first argument for an atheist. Well, how can a loving God do this? Right? But we have to remember that it's not of this world that God has the plan. He's got a plan here, but his plan for us goes further than, the, than just this world. Number five, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Now, God, take away my life, for it is better to me, for me to die than to live. Jonah was ready to quit. The flesh had distorted his ability to see things as they really were. Things hadn't gone his way. He sees himself as a failure. He was done. Right? So he goes into Nineveh and tells them, Yeah, you guys are all going to die if you don't straighten out. And then they straighten out. And they don't die. And he's like, well, now I kind of told you guys all this. Now I look like a fool. So he's done. He's gotten to the point now where he's turning away from God. Right? He's done. We see that in people. They turn away from God. Because God didn't respond to how they wanted him to. Right? So we have a prayer for God. And it doesn't turn out the way that we think it should. And we get angry. We turn away. We're not relying on God's will. And we're not looking to see what his plan is. Our, ba our battle might look different than what Jonah's does. But we all battle with earthly desires of some sort. We all have this battle raging, raging inside of us. The flesh is trying to pull us further away from God. And it could be many things that, that are just pulling us away. So how do we overcome this battle between the spirit and the flesh? So back to Galatians 5, Paul tells the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He then describes what the fruits of the spirit are. Love, joy, peace, forbearance kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those words sound a whole lot better than the ones that he was describing in the flesh, doesn't it? So when we are seeking after these things, we are seeking after God. Be dependent on God to lead you. Seek him out in his word. Grow your relationship with him. Right after we got married, Crystal ran in a marathon. Now, you can't just go out and run 26.2 miles. I think I can make it about maybe one before I died. You have to train for that. Every day you have to train. You have to go out and you have to run. A little further every day you go out and run. Then she got up to the point that she could do that, that 26 miles. Same with sports teams. They have to go out and train, right? They can't just 
go out there and play and without any training. You can't just sit down at a piano and play Mozart unless you've learned to play and you practice it. In a similar way, we have to train for this battle. This battle is a daily fight. Every day you have to seek God. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Daily. Every day, you've got to pick up that cross. You've got to fight that battle. You cannot do it on your own. You have to be dependent on God. Another story for you. Missionaries went to a village that had never heard the gospel. In order to gain entrance, they had to meet the chief. He would not allow them to speak to his people. But he agreed to take their Bible and study it. He told them, come back in a couple of months, and I'll give you my decision. When they returned, they found that the chief had given his life to Christ, and he had led the entire village to follow Jesus. They began to ask him questions about his new faith in Christ. Describe what it is to follow Jesus. It's like there are two dogs inside of me. There's a good dog that desires to do right, holy, righteous things. Then there's a bad dog that desires to do wrong, hurtful things. They're fighting. So which one wins? The one that I feed the most. So we have to feed the spirit. And how do we feed the spirit? We have to communicate with God. Sorry, I typed all this out on the slides and it is really small. So how do we communicate with God? Number one, we have to talk to God. And that's through prayer. We pray to God. Then God speaks to us. And how does he do that? Through his word. So daily, we need to be in prayer and we need to be in his word. We need to have that communication. We also feed the spirit by being involved in God's work. We can do that by joining a small group, joining a prayer group, volunteering here at church. We have the next steps table back there. Ton of information up there of what we can what we can do, how you can be involved here in church. You can also seek the counsel of a mature Christian. They can show you how to seek God in that battle that you're fighting. So my prayer and challenge for you guys this week is to think about somewhere specific that you are battling that battle in the flesh. Pray that God will help you in that area. Seek him out in scripture to help you win that battle against it. And depend on God to aid you in that battle. Father, we thank you, Lord.